Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Tennessee Association for Recovery Court Professionals inaugural Recovery Court podcast. My name is Chad Curtis. I'm an intern with Lipscomb University working with TARCP this spring. This podcast is intended to be a resource for the recovery courts themselves and to provide them with information, inspiration, and illumination on a variety of topics. We also hope that others will enjoy this podcast as well. We'll keep all of them under 30 minutes, just in case you were wondering and didn't want to go to sleep. They'll all be pretty short. If anyone is listening and has any ideas that they would like to hear on our podcast, please reach out to our CEO, Marie Crossan at Marie, that's M-A-R-I-E dot Crossan, C-R-O-S-S-O-N at T-A-R-C-P dot org. On today's podcast, we will be speaking with Doug Beecham from the 23rd District in Ashland City and Dixon. Hey, Doug, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. We appreciate you coming out today. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and your role? My name is Doug Beecham. I'm one of the directors of the 23rd Judicial District Drug Court Program, Recovery Court Program in Dixon, which is the 23rd Judicial District, which is Dixon, Cheatham, Stewart, Houston, and Humphreys County, middle to west Tennessee. And I, I split the, the director's role with Kevin Batts. I was just about to say, it's a lot of area to cover. Right, right. We keep ourselves pretty busy. I bet, I bet. So uh, tell me how that works with two different directors. What does that look like? How does that? So we jokingly say Kevin is the paper person and I am the people person. There you go. Right, right. All right. Um, and so tell us a little bit more about um, your role and what that looks like on a daily basis for anybody that doesn't know what a director does. So my role basically is to, to keep everything going amongst our participants in the drug court program. We have approximately 55 to 60 participants right now, depending on graduations or people that are just coming in. And I organize all our staff to do groups, meetings, drug testing, work, uh, scheduling, pretty much everything, their daily lives, what they do, where they live, which house they live in. We have a lot of housing for our drug court participants. Our, Our participants are residential, so we have different phase houses and just a lot of organization. Right. And how long have you been in this role, Doug? I've been with the 23rd for 15 years. Very cool. That's awesome. And so you're a graduate of the program? I am. I was the 13th graduate 13th. of the 23rd Judicial District Drug Court, which is a milestone. That's, that's a big deal. That is. That's huge. What an accomplishment. I'm very proud of it. And it helps me when I'm dealing with the participants to know that I've walked a mile in their shoes. Yeah. I think they appreciate it sometimes, too. Empathy, I'm sure, is unlike anything else you could find, you know, somebody that's been there. Right. And so what year did you say you graduated the program? I graduated in 2004. 2004. And so after two years clean, you went there and walked me through that process. Were you immediately the director or what what was happening? So I'd love to say that immediately Judge Birch, who is uh, deceased now, he... I would love to say he called me up and said, I need you to be the director. (laughs) So um, after I graduated, um, there was just starting sober living residences. So we had participants living everywhere. And and he he just called me and said, I need some help in monitoring some of these participants. And would you come in and be a surveillance officer? (laughs) I was honored 
Yeah. Couldn't even imagine somebody with a criminal past to be honored to be a surveillance officer. They trusted me and they believed in me. Yeah. So it was, it was an honor. So people in recovery, you know, have that. Uh, I'm just going off the cuff here. We're going to leave the notes behind for a right. second and surprise you. Doug and I were chatting about the questions before, and he was a little nervous. I was like, you're just talking to another friend in recovery. Nothing to worry about. But a lot of us in recovery, you know, have that fear of getting a job because of our criminal backgrounds, you know? So I help our participants out tremendously. So in the beginning, it was tough to sell a convicted felon to a factory. or to, yeah. so our, our participants had to go out and try to find their own jobs. Part of my role, I started going and said, look, do you want a great employee? They're, they're going to be drug tested yeah. three times a week. <laughs> if they don't, and it's free on them. It's free. And if they don't go to work, there's a possibility they're going to go to jail. Yeah. So they're going to show, show up. up. And, yeah, <laughs> and, they're, they're, uh, and they're great employees. Yeah. You know, uh, what I've learned in, in, in working in with the recovered court, most of our participants are above average intelligence. Absolutely. And I find that throughout all of recovery. Yeah. So they get a great employee and they're making good money. So now, you know, fast forward 15 years, I have almost every factory that hires felons, which is a lot in Dixon, call me on a daily basis. Yesterday, I got a phone call. I asked, do you have four to seven people? <laughs> I, I need them. Yeah. Because they want them. Yeah. That's and awesome. That's so good for recovery. Yeah. Breaking the stigma and just like sharing the hope and, and helping other people get jobs is really amazing, Doug. So I'm sure they really appreciate that. Um, so you, you touched on the housing component a little bit. Not all the courts do that. Could you explain that process to us? So when, early on when I first started, the part of, like I said, my job was to, to try to round everybody up, see if they were on house arrest and not on house arrest, what they were doing. So it was it was chaos. So Judge and I sat down and, and Rick Taylor and we decided we need housing and we could put everybody together. That way we could keep track of them. And hopefully that one person working a program of recovery would be contagious. Yeah. So we formed a 501c3, which was very important to protect anybody from lawsuits or, or, or whatnot. Sure. If something happened. And then the money part, it was just so worried. How are we going to make this work? Yeah. Everybody prayed and, and said, this is what God wants us to do. And we rented a house and we put, it was a duplex. We put a sober member of AA that we knew really well, another former graduate. He was our second graduate. Oh, wow. And we put him in one side of the duplex and he was in charge of the other side where we put seven guys and their rent covered more than covered the cost of what we, we rented the whole duplex for, which gave the participant number two free rent, sure. which I'll, I'll watch these guys. <laughs> free rent. Yeah. And from there, it just grew. And uh, where we finally made it uh, part of the program where you, you come in the, in phase one and phase two, you live in the sober living residence. And so that's mandatory? It's, it is mandatory, sure. and they come in, and they, they live. We uh, Eventually, Kevin found us uh, where we could go and get uh, food, second harvest, yeah. 501c3. You yeah. could, so we, we provide their food. We provide their electric. Their, everybody's got a nice, warm place to stay, and it's clean, 
and um, it's just worked out really, really well for our courts. That's awesome. So explain to the listeners how, um, like, I'm assuming most people don't have a job when they first come to recovery court. How does that work when they're coming into the house? Are they paying anything when they first get there? What does that look like? So... Obviously, they don't have any money when they get there. I, we've never had anybody come in and say, hey, I got this great savings account. No worries. <laughs> we may have had somebody. I don't know. but Sure. Probably not. Right. So they come in, and like I said, I've got a waiting list. So nobody has to worry about getting a job. So they obviously don't get a paycheck usually the first week. So we just put it on their rearage and let, yeah. them, let them pay a little bit at a time until they get it caught back up. And, and they just continue to pay rent. And it's mandatory to live there phase one and two. And then you can move out and get your own apartment or split an apartment. We try to keep everything in the Dixon County area. So sure. so our surveillance officers now and our case managers go out and do home visits and stuff. So yeah. we keep it where, we, where they can do that. But here's the thing. People get to phase three very rarely. Do they want to um, move out? Yeah. They're paying rent. <laughs> they got free food and electric and a warm bed and a warm place. Hey, you can't beat that. I want to move in. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so just for clarity, you, you guys house men and women. Correct. Okay. And then... Um, separately. Separately. <laughs> you know, that that's the best policy. Um, do other people not in the recovery court come and stay in the housing? Or is that... How does that... Absolutely. So I don't want anybody in recovery that if there's a bed and we got availability and, you know, we I, I, obviously I watch my my list of who's coming into drug court, who's provisionally accepted. So I watch all that. And if I've got a couple extra beds or something and because I have judges call me all the time. Yeah. This is like even like the misdemeanor courts. Say, sure. Hey, do you could you put so and so in the house for a little while? Absolutely. And, and they'll they'll may or may not be a condition of their probation to, to live with us and, yeah. and to follow the, the same very strict rules of the drug court program. That's awesome. So have you guys ever been to capacity? Like, how would that work? We stay at capacity. Okay. Right now, we just opened up two more new houses. Okay. Uh, thanks to... Uh, a grant, but tell us about that. I was going to ask about that. What grant and, and what does that process look like? And how did you choose location? I got questions all over the place, Doug. So Kevin is a paper person. Uh-huh. And I'm a people person, right? So grants and stuff, I don't know. Okay, I, yeah, I, not I not a problem. Deep. But locations, we we try to choose the best location per work availability. Okay. So if if we're because we, we use vans for transportation. Some people have their own transportation. Some people don't. We have to keep in mind that that, that everybody has to get to work. Yeah. Most of the work is in in the city limits. So we try to. We don't want to bother a bunch of neighbors a lot, you know. Which sure. we don't, but we try to keep in good central locations to to accommodate everybody to get to work. Yeah, absolutely. So when you guys were starting that process, did any local stakeholders get involved in that process and support you guys? What did that look like early on? So, yeah, we got the Dixon Community Foundation. I'm going to give a few plugs to there some we go. great people. They, they've helped us out so many different ways. With uh, They have what's called matching grants. Um, 
sometimes, and they they help us out with the. They'll they'll have a, a grant. Like last year, we needed new mattresses. We've been going on sure. mattresses for a long time, so they wrote us a grant for X amount of dollars. And we could replace all the mattresses and box springs, but we have to match it with the same amount of money. Yeah. Which is an awesome grant. Yeah. Get 50% off. There you go, right? <laughs> yeah. So everybody got a brand new mattress this year. That's awesome. Great. Thank you, Community Foundation. Yes. And, and you know, it just works out good. They bought us the year before last uh, all brand new refrigerators for all our houses. Very cool. Washers and dryers. It's all matching, of course. Yeah. But and the Predators Foundation, yeah, they've helped us out, you know, with um, playground sets for all the houses, for the kids, um, for visitation. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. I know you're not a grant guy, you're not the paper guy, but question, because I know that I, I went through the process of trying to open up Sober Living myself, and I got a 501c3. Most of the government grants you can't get until you're already operating for two years. Now, did that change at some point or was that early on? Do you know anything about that? I think that's the way it's always been. Okay. 100%. I was just wondering if you guys got a grant right off and it changed. Okay. We shoestringed it for a long time and donations. Yeah. So in your local groups of recovery groups with a you can ask, you'd be surprised how many people want to donate a couch or four bunk beds or whatever. And that's how we started with donations and and just prayer works. That's what I was just about to say. It sounds like you prayed and it all just fell into place. Yes. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, So tell us about what makes a participant successful. What's the key to success? First and foremost, willingness. I think most participants, including myself, I did not come to drug court, I don't think, just because I wanted to just be this great sober person. <laughs> I wanted to be out of jail. Sure. And and that's the bottom line. Yeah. But recovery was beautiful and and I fell in love with recovery. And I think most anybody that, that comes into recovery you build a life that you would give up for nothing. So drugs, and you work the steps, and you clean up your insides. The outside is beautiful, and, and you don't need to put substance or anything in your body anymore to to be okay being you. So, you know, just coming in, I think willingness is is the first key by far. You know, if you're if you got just an ounce of willingness and you're you're willing to change, you know, change your life. And that's what it's going to be about. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to say on that, I I have a lot of people in recovery ask me, you know, why? Why this? Why? 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 And I'm like, stop asking why and start asking how. How you can change is honesty, open mindedness and willingness. One hundred percent. You know, And and when people say why, I say, why not? Right. So when I first came into AA, they would say, try it for 90 days. And if you don't like it, we'll gladly refund your misery. Right. They're right. Yeah. Because there's nothing it's, about using anything that's fun. Right. It wasn't in my case. Exactly. If it's still fun, it's going to be hard to get sober. Exactly. Nobody wants to stop if it's still fun. If it, yeah. If I'm right? still having a good time, I might stop just to please the courts. Sure. And that's why I, get, I think you have some people that that's where they're still at. When they came in, they just got caught. And yeah. they were still having a blast. 
that wasn't my my case. And and most people at drug courts, that's probably not their case. I'm gonna throw you a curveball. So you said willingness. When did you notice that like your willingness to not just do it for the court, but for you? When did that kick in? So thank goodness I got a good sponsor and I started working the steps. And I had a serious problem with the God issue. And so I started working the steps. And in my case, the willingness came when I started to believe it was possible. Yeah. Because at first, I didn't think anybody could get sober. Sure. I honestly thought that the, 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 they were happy. They, they were Somebody had something in the trunk of their car. Uh-huh. Once I learned the secret handshake, they was going to invite me up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, well, in, in my experience, when I first, I, I thought either they're lying or they're all just miserable and angry, and I don't want to be like that when I grow up, you know? So for me, it was I had to see people having fun and laughing clean before I realized that, like, oh, okay, you can be happy and not is. Absolutely. I, so I didn't even know what AA or NA was. Nothing. Any of the A's. Yeah. I thought there's going to be like 20 guys sitting around a, a light bulb hanging from the <laughs> in the middle of the room going, back, oh, man, I wish I could get high. Right. I wish I had a drink. And the love. Yeah. Man, there's so much love in the rooms. It's just unbelievable. And they loved me till I could love myself. And once, once I felt it... You know, learning it is one thing, but once it falls, that eight-minute yes. drop, yep. I call it, once it falls from your head to your heart and you believe it, yeah. that, then it's all cake after that. I, I say that all the time. Recovery's living from the heart. It's not thinking your way into something different. It's living your way, you know, right. living from the heart. And, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I love yeah, that. You note. can't think yourself into to right action. Exactly. You can act yourself into right thinking. Yes, sir. Love it. So 17 years, that's a long time. Do you have like something, like a moment from a participant that just really stuck out to you? 100%. Tell me about So you walk before the circuit judge every week. This is the same circuit judge that sentenced me. And it was Judge Robert E. Birch. He's deceased now. And one particular moment, he asked me if I would go speak to some some high schoolers over in Waverly, Tennessee, and I did. And when when I got there, I was still pretty scared of him, maybe even a little still resentful of him. Mm-hmm. And he, when he come up to the stage, he said, "I'd like to introduce a participant in our twenty third judicial district drug court program." And not only is he a participant, I would consider him my friend. Wow. It was like the wall fell down. And I was like, he just said I'm his friend. And that was a big deal to me. Yeah. That's and, huge. And we became, over the years, we became, I would say, best friends. I, I, I talked to him every single day. I talked to him like 20 minutes before he, he drove off and had a heart attack and died. Wow. So I was on the phone with him right before he died. And uh, he believed in recovery courts 100%. And... Uh, when he first started, he thought it was going to be a hug-a-thug program, and and he was a hard, hard, hard judge in real court, and he was the kindest, gentlest person in recovery court you ever wanted to meet. Wow. Do you think it changed for him 
at some point? Because did he come over to recovery court? Like you said, hug a thug. And so he was coming from this really like, you know, judgy place in the beginning. Absolutely. He came from lock him up. Yeah. Lock him up to seeing his first few people graduate, seeing them, their lives change and get their families back and their kids back. He, he once said one of his biggest moments was a 13 year old uh, came up to him during a graduation and said, thank you for giving me my dad back. Wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's huge. Yeah. And he's, you know, the wall, the wall, it just started crumbling, you know, and it fell. And, and he believed in recovery. You know, he, he wanted most of our staff is in recovery, which helps. Yeah, that's huge. That's awesome. All right. So rounding up here, if Doug Beecham, 17 years ago, recovery court day one, was standing in front of you, what would you say to him? So that's such a tough question. Um, Doug Beecham walking into drug court, I'd say, this seems overwhelming right now. Just take it so easy and let it come to you. Don't try to, to, to push anything. Just let it happen and believe in the 12 steps Yeah, because that's what's going to change your life. If you work those 12 steps and your life don't change, something's the matter. You didn't work them. Right. right. And that's just a fact. And I think that's for Anybody in recovery, but especially in drug court, just just don't let just don't be overwhelmed. Give time. Time is things I must earn. Yep. Time takes time. Right. Things I must earn. I love it. Well, Doug, we really appreciate you coming in today. And on our next program, we'll be speaking with two recovery court graduates with long-term sobriety. Stay tuned for that. Doug, if anybody wants to reach out to you, do you have an email address or something you want to throw out? D Beecham, D. B-E-E-C-H-A-M at bellsouth.net. Awesome. Well, thank you, Doug, again. And remember out there, the difference between illness and wellness is I and we. Be well, and until next time.